If you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to Romans, Romans chapter 8 and John chapter 20. Two passages, Romans chapter 8 and John chapter 20. Now, if you have the Bible app, you can actually uh, go to calvary.online, click today's message, and it'll all come up for you there in the Bible app. All the notes will be right there for you. Um, or you could search for a live event on their app. And you can find it that way as well. So uh, today I want to I share a message with you called Live Again, the truth about the resurrection. You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things on television. A lot of people have a, a kind of a, a history channel version of Christianity that they embrace. It's like whatever they have seen on the television, they just kind of tell the story. And, and, and I, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of goes on a, a lot. And so today we're going to take with fresh eyes and look at what we are celebrating today, which, by the way, uh, it's it's not bunny rabbits and eggs, okay? That's not what we're celebrating. It's okay if you're eating a chocolate bunny. That's actually the best kind to eat. Um, uh, You know, and and, you know, that's fine. That's fine. I've tried the other ones. They're pretty good too. Way more keto, that's for sure. (laughs) But... But is this uh, about chocolate, and is it about Easter eggs, or is there something more about this moment that we're celebrating? I, uh, I, I heard about, you know, uh, uh, three blondes that, that died, and they went... I try. I try every week to get to a punchline. I heard about these three blondes. They, they died and they were at the pearly gates and there St. Peter was, right? And he says, listen, I've only got one small test. One small test for you, okay? All you got to do is answer this question. What is Easter? He goes to the first blonde and he says, what is Easter? She goes, this is easy. That is a holiday in November where you eat turkey and you, you say the things that you're thankful for. He's like, no. Goes to the next one. What is Easter? She says, I got this. Listen, this is where you gather around a tree and you open presents and you celebrate the birth of Jesus. No. He then looks at the third one. And the third, the third blunt, he says, well, Easter is a Christian celebration which coincides with Passover, a Jewish celebration, which is exactly what, Jew, what Jesus was celebrating uh, with his disciples in the upper room when he had the Last Supper. But one of his disciples betrayed him with a kiss, turned him over to the Romans, they nailed him to a cross, stabbed him in the side, put a crown of thorns on his head, and he died. And St. Peter starts to smile. Until she finishes and said, and once a year, they roll back the stone and let Jesus out. And if he sees his shadow, there's six more weeks of winter. I'm just saying. There might be more to the resurrection than you think. And today, I want to give you a passage which is actually directly connected to the resurrection 
And we're going to read the story of the resurrection. And we're going to invite God to actually change our lives by the resurrection. And so uh, today, if you have your Bible, I want you to look at this. uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Now, preceding this scripture, I want you to know, last week we were celebrating Palm Sunday, and it was a celebration. It was a parade, a prophetic parade, a celebration that led to what? A sacrifice. It was the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross through his death. And that sacrifice then led to something supernatural. And this is what you must understand about Christianity. It is not a philosophy. It is a supernatural encounter with a God who loves you, who wants to redeem you and do an eternal work in your life. And we're going to see this power displayed in this verse in Romans chapter 8. And it says this. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I'll say that again. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, lives in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, I want to I give you some truths from the resurrection in light of what we see here in Romans, and we're going to read the, the, the resurrection story in, in just, just a moment. But this first point, this first truth is directly connected to what we've just read in Romans, and that is this. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Now listen, I don't want you to think about that in terms of, uh, of a theological perspective, but more of an, ab- of, of, of an abiding reality. He is alive. As, as alive and more alive than the person sitting on your left and your right. He is alive and alive forevermore. Very much alive. Notice what verse 11 says. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. We do not serve a dead religious philosopher. He is the only son of God who came to pay the price for our sins. He was laid in a tomb and on the third day he was raised from death to life. He is alive forevermore. Now... I want to read to you this story, and there there are lots of verses here in John chapter 20, uh, 18 of them, that I'm going to read. And this story is rich with with much insight concerning uh, the resurrection, but we want to focus in on this truth that Jesus is alive. And it says this, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran... And came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went out, and the other disciple, this is John writing about himself, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter, I believe, 
John put that in his gospel. He wanted everybody to know. Peter was slow. I'm just saying. I don't know why that's in there. And he outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also. And he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away to their own homes. Notice this. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laying. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me, where have you laid him? And I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now, in this passage, there is, there is much that we could dissect and look at, okay? Uh, first thing you need to know is that God uses Mary to go down to the tomb first. She sees the tomb, the, 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 the stone rolled away. And, and, and when you read all of the accounts of this moment, you see she looks in and sees nothing. Otherwise, why would she run back and say they have taken the body? So she looks in the tomb, sees nothing. Uh, John and then Peter. Peter goes in, John goes in, they give us details, she's outside weeping, and then what do we notice? Mary looks again. Only this time when she looks in, she sees two angels, one at the head and one at the foot. Now, I, I'm not going to go into it in depth here, but what she saw was God's mercy seat. She saw the actual mercy seat of God, where God laid his only sacrifice for sins down. You say, what's the mercy seat? See, the mercy seat was the top of the Ark of the Covenant. It had two angels, one on one side and one on the other, and their, their wings stretched out, and they covered the mercy seat. And every year, they would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement, all as a reminder that one day, there would be a sacrifice that comes to pay the price for sin. And listen to me. When Mary looked the first time, she saw nothing. And I know, because it's not in my notes, but it's in my spirit, that I have a word to give someone in the house today. You need to look again. 
You need to look again at Jesus in a real and profound way with humility. Look again and here's what you'll see. You'll see mercy. You'll see grace. You'll see uh, his divine love that he has for you. Look again. Look again. And he'll reveal himself to you. The part that I love is that Mary has this encounter with, with the Lord and she goes back and tells him, and the disciples don't even want to believe her. They don't even want to believe her. All they saw was the empty tomb. And yet she comes carrying a message. He's raised from the dead. He's raised from the dead. Now, what happens in the disciples' lives after they have uh, their own encounter with the Lord? They went everywhere telling about the resurrection. They went everywhere telling it. Let me put it to you this way. So Jesus ascends to heaven, and now they have the responsibility of sharing the message. This is year one. This is ground zero of entering into the great commission that God has given the church. And notice what they say. Acts 3, this is year one. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. This is what they're saying from the very beginning. He is alive. He's alive. He's alive. Now, if it was really just the perpetration of a lie, that kind of thing kind of just kind of will, will go away. It will go with the ebbs and flows of popularity. But notice what the disciples are saying some 20 years later. 20 years later, Acts 13, it says, Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree, laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. 20 years later, they're still saying, Jesus is alive. Why would these men... Carry this message, which for most of them brought with it a death sentence. If it was simply a lie, they wouldn't. That's actually one of the most convincing arguments that the early church saw the risen Savior. And they were witnesses. And at, at moments after the ascension where Jesus goes into heaven before sending his spirit. Moments after that, they are saying, he's alive. 20 years later, they're saying, he's alive. Let me just tell you, 2,000 years later, the church is still declaring, Jesus is alive. He's alive. Now listen to how sure. It's not like they're hoping he's alive or wishing he was alive. Listen to how the Apostle Paul says it in Romans chapter 6 verse 9. He says, for we know. Do you hear that? For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. 
Aren't you grateful that we serve a risen Savior, a living Savior, someone who can talk to you, who you can hear, who you can interact with, who, who you have been actually made to interact with. He's a living Savior. And notice how sure they were. We know. I want to tell you, every person under the sound of my voice today can know he's alive. The second truth that I want you to see that's connected to Romans chapter 8 and the resurrection is that we were made and created for his spirit. I want you to, I want you to notice what Romans 8.11 says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the, dwe- the dead dwells in you, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, lives in you, dwells, uh, another way uh, would say, tabernacles in you, his presence abides in you. You were made for the presence of God. And let me show you how important that truth is connected to the resurrection. John 20, we're going to begin, we're going to keep reading through it. Verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, what day? The day of the resurrection. Being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is moments after the resurrection. And Jesus, he comes to a building that is locked up securely. And probably rightly so. Here are these disciples thinking the Jewish authorities that were complicit in the death of Jesus are now going to come after us. So here they are behind their walls and behind their locked doors and Jesus walks through their walls. I want to tell you today. I don't know who came in here full of anxiety. You probably even haven't even been in a room with this many people in it in a long time. You may have come in here in fear. You may have been thinking about all of the stuff that's going on in your life. And you're hoping that God wants to show up in your life. But you've got walls up, doors are locked. And you're like, man, I am so fearful of what is going on in my life. I don't know which way it's going to go. I'm going to tell you, he's alive and he'll walk right through your walls. He'll walk right through your your locked door. He'll come right up in the middle and say, listen, 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 I'm alive. I died for you to set you free. I'm coming here to you to change your life forever. And notice what he does in that moment. I mean, here we are, just moments after the resurrection. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is teaching us something, church. Here's what it's saying. We have understood the cross 
to be important for our forgiveness of sin. And it is. It's the only way that we're forgiven of sins, through the shedding of Christ's blood. But it is also the only way that we are cleansed from sin. I don't know if you're like me, but right now, I am experiencing a plague from Egypt at my house. It's these caterpillars. Straight out of the book of Exodus. I'm telling you right now. I threw down my rake hoping it'd turn into a snake and he would eat them. Didn't happen. And we have been cleansing the house to no avail. I know there's a plan. I know, I, I know, we, can, I, I know we can do some things. But I, I wanted to tell you, it is important for you to understand that as a house, what you would, you would say is what we have to do, we have to clean that. We have to clean the house. Why? Because those things are poisonous, nasty, disgusting. I enjoy it when they're on my tires when I'm pulling out. Pray for me. Pray for me. (laughs) But here's what you need to know. Did you know that you too are a house? And I know that many times when we think of the cross, we simply think of, man, I need to be forgiven for the deeds that I've done. But you not only need to be forgiven of the deeds you've been done, but you need a cleansing which is preparing you for God to move in. It's the day of the resurrection and Jesus looks at them and breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the resurrection is about us receiving that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You see, this is the moment when man first experienced John 3, 3, where Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. And he said, most assuredly, I say, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The term born again literally means to be born of the spirit. You can't know what it is to be born again. To be born of the Spirit. Unless you've been washed and cleansed and readied for Him. You see, sometimes when we think of the cross, we think of it in in theological terms. And that's that's so great. But I promise you that day on Golgotha's hill, Christ isn't on the cross going, this is so wonderful how this is going to work out for systematic theology. You need to know that, that, that the cross of, of Christ and the payment made, it was personal. It was personal for Jesus, this suffering. And it was personal because it, it happened to him as a person. And what he was doing was going to be a gift for each person. It was not only personal, it was brutal. 
The scripture says he was marred more than any man. And I know many times when we look at the realities of the suffering of Christ, we as human beings tend to want to look away. I say, face, face the depth of the agony of the Savior and look fully into his sacrifice so you can look at it and say, whoa, the brutality that sin's payment required. It was personal, it was brutal, but here's what you need to know. It was sufficient. It was sufficient to cleanse you, to wash you and make you ready for His Spirit. I know there's probably people under the sound of my voice today and you came here to church because you have a drug problem. Someone drug you to church. <laughs> right? That's your drug problem today. Some of you are like, oh no, he's calling me out. No, no, not exactly. <laughs> If that is you, be free in Jesus' name. Um, I know that many of us think, we, we, I, you know, people just think, I don't have the willpower to really do Christianity. Oh, my, my wife, she can do it. But I don't have the willpower for it. I've got good news. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? You are made for the dwelling place of God. And let me tell you, when God moves in, he changes everything. When God moves in, you don't live by willpower anymore. You live by his power. And his power and his presence produce, produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those things that we find ourselves uh, woefully deficient in. But the Spirit of God is full of all of those things. And so when he says, hey, you need to be born of the Spirit, I'm making room for God to move in. Listen, Christianity isn't about willpower. It's about welcoming his power and welcoming his presence to be center of everything in your life. On the first day, on the first day, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's how important it is. That's how important it is. The presence of, the God, of God not only produces fruit, but it produces power. We heard stories of miracles that God is doing as we pray for people, as we lay hands on people, as we, as we uh, walk in daily prayer with people. We, we're hearing stories of miracles that God is doing. And I want to tell you, God's a miracle-working God. How do you say, how can you be so confident of that? Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was a healer in the days when he walked the hillside of Israel, then he is a healer today. Why? He's alive. He's alive and he doesn't change. That's what Malachi says. He says, I am the Lord and I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O Jacob. He says, I'm not changing. I'm not changing. And so we're seeing that the presence of the Holy Spirit actually demonstrates to people, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Just this last week, uh, we went uh, with some students and we were encountering the Holy Spirit on a retreat that we do. And we're out on the beach and we're witnessing the people who are out at spring break. You know, they didn't come on spring break to go meet Jesus, but they didn't know that we were coming to the beach where they were... <laughs> pursuing whatever they were pursuing. <laughs> and there we walked up to a, a group of, of five guys on the beach, all of them from the University of Missouri. And we just walked up to them and said, hey, listen, 
We're out here on the beach to tell people Jesus loves them. And he's here for you. And on this holy week, we want you to know that he's very much alive and wants to be involved in your life. And I asked a simple question. I said, hey, are are any of you guys going through anything? You need prayer for anything? And the loudest one, the loudest guy, you know that guy. (laughs) The loudest one. He said, yeah. My parents' house got broken into last night. And here's the bad part. My parents think it was me. And here I am, 13 hours away. They don't know where I am. I said, that's probably why they think it's you. (laughs) I'm 13 hours away. They think it's me. They want to blame me for this. I said, okay, I'm going to pray. And I prayed, and then a young man spoke up after I was done praying. And he says, I feel like, you know, God wants to give you a word about restoration in your family. And he speaks directly to this guy Things that he could not have known by any other means other than the Holy Spirit spoke it. And he speaks to this guy and says, listen, God says in the last days, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And there's going to be a restoration in your family. And in that moment on the beach, they're drinking, we're praying, the presence of God came. The presence of God came as we ministered to these guys who weren't looking for Jesus, but Jesus came looking for them in a demonstration of power. You see, the resurrection tells us we're made for his presence. The last truth I want to give you today is this. We will rise again. Romans tells us, says, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. There is coming a resurrection of believers. Make no mistake about it. I know for, 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 for us, many times, uh, you know, we look back on 2020 and we had to say farewell to a lot of people. It's been a difficult time and a difficult season. But I want to let you know that if they were believers in Jesus Christ, they went to be in the presence of God and their story isn't over. Romans tells us, man, there is coming a quickening, a changing of that body. Notice what 2 Corinthians 5 says. It says, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. I just want to pause, leave that passage up there. That word guarantee there, um, it means deposit. Now, uh, for, for most young people in the room, this is going to surprise you, but Walmart has not existed since the beginning of time. But when I was a kid, I went to this store with my mom in the late 70s called Zares. Who knew? Everybody missed it. I didn't know. Zares, right? And Zares had these rounders with like clothes on them and they had everything kind of in this little 
this store. And what I would do as a child is I would go in and I would hide in the rounder. And I'd hear my mom yelling. Then I would be appropriately reprimanded after she found me. And, uh, but what, what, what my mom did at Zare, she loved to shop there because they had something called layaway. And layaway is like where you kind of collect some things in advance and you take it to the back of the store and you leave it there for safekeeping. And what you do is you put a deposit on those items and say, I will regularly pay and then by this date, I'll get these things off of layaway. That's this verse. And it says, he has given his spirit to us as a deposit. So we, are all, all, so we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, while we're alive, we're absent from the Lord. We're not face to face. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He is saying this, listen, we one day are going to shed this, this body and this, 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 this aching body, this aging body, and one day we're going to get a new body. And But he also says this, listen, don't worry about the ones who've died. They are in the presence of the Lord. But there is coming another day where believers in Christ will rise. I love this. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly wait the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Aren't you ready to have a glorious body? I said that in first service. I got like one amen. I'm so glad there's more people in here who are a little more in touch. First Corinthians 15 says this, but behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. There will be a moment when we're all changed. There is a coming resurrection. Man, I tell you what, if you're a believer, you ought to shout over that. But I do recognize that if you're an unbeliever here and you hear those words, that's kind of spooky. You're like, huh, I've got good news for you today. There is, a, there is a savior who has mastery over death, who forever can no longer be influenced by death, who one day is coming again. He is coming. He is descending from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ will rise. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air and forever be with the Lord. You need to know, listen, unbeliever, you need to know this. 
That is going to come to pass. And today, there's an open invitation to join the reunion. To join that reunion. We're going to be raised. But let's look back. Romans, again, it says, starts off with one word, if. Not since, if. If the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. If. It's not a guarantee. Do not believe this lie. We're all God's children. No, you're not. Not until you're born again. You are created in his image, made to be redeemed. He loves you. But you become a child of the living God when he breathes on you because you've been cleansed and his spirit begins to dwell in you. Then not even death terrifies you. That's why we can go to the farthest reaches of the world and preach the gospel in places where people are are, are threatened with certain death if they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're like, I'm going anyway. People on the outside say, why would you do that? Because death isn't finality for a believer. Our Savior has mastery over death. And you can receive eternal life today. Now listen, I want to finish with this truth. You must receive Christ. In order to experience the power of the resurrection. You must receive him. There was a resurrection that took place in Jesus' day. When he stood before the tomb of Lazarus. But just before he got there. He's speaking to one of Lazarus' sisters. And he says these words. Which I pray will reverberate in your heart today. Jesus said, I am The resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live even though they die. And those who live and believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? If you want a truth about resurrection... It must be received by grace through faith. Not of works, not, of thrum, not through some list of penance, but simply placing your faith in what Jesus did and saying, God, breathe on me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm made for you, and nothing in this world will keep me in fear Because you have mastery over death.